So we are going to look at Psalm 16. And Psalm 16 is a beautiful psalm. You can turn there and I will have the scriptures on the wall for you to make it easy. You get an easy Sunday today. Uh, and, you know, Joe has you flipping through 50 <laughs> uh, verses uh, really quickly. Uh, praise the Lord for that. But today I'm giving you a break. It'll be on the wall. But we are going to talk about Psalm 16, I think is a beautiful psalm. It's a, a psalm that we should treasure. And when I say treasure, you'll understand what I mean by that. Uh, the title of this message is The Lord is Our Refuge. Now, before we even read anything and you think of the Lord being our refuge, what is a refuge? You know, a refuge is, is, well, the question would be, is the Lord your refuge? And what is a refuge? It's a, it's a place where you're, you're taken care of, you're, you're protected, you're safe. And in, in order to have a refuge, whatever that refuge may be, uh, of course, other than the Lord, let's say your home, uh, your neighborhood, uh, the, uh, your friend, this place, you might go through a week in, at, at the job and, you know, you're, you're, you're stressed out, you know, you've had enough and, and all the ins and outs of, of dealing with whatever in the world and different people. And then you come here on a Sunday or to men's group, like, uh, um, which men's group, by the way, is taking a summer break. <laughs> we'll be back in the fall. Uh, and, and that's your place of refuge. And because you get back and you're with everybody. You're with people who love you, people you love, we're not perfect by far, but we are able to be genuine. You feel uh, protected in this place. So a place of refuge needs to be something you trust, something that you, you've experienced, something you know where you are feeling uh, safe, protected, and guarded. And so understanding the Lord, understanding God in the right way makes all the difference in understanding as him as our refuge. We see that in many scriptures throughout the Bible, uh, that he is our refuge. He's a refuge to me, our strength, our refuge. Um, but when we grasp it, we have to understand who he is, and then we can grasp him being our refuge. So we're going to look at Psalm 16, and you can, you can actually open up there, uh, verse 1, and we'll begin right there. Uh, Psalm 16, verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God. For I take refuge in you. Now, it is, if you'll see in your Bibles, and most of them, it'll say a miktam, a miktam of David. And it's important to understand, what is a miktam? And I think that kind of sets the stage for Psalm 16, the beauty, the meaning, and the meaning that it should have for us. Psalm 16, a miktam. A miktam is, it's a musical term. And as you know, this is a song, but this first verse is a prayer. And it's a, it's a musical term, miktam, and it means golden. So it's something golden, and it possibly has a meaning. It's, it's, the word is, is somewhat vague. It's a little uh, obscure. So it's hard to understand exactly what it is. But it's understood as golden and possibly hidden, almost like a, well, let's say a hidden treasure. And I'll tell you, Psalm 16 is a hidden treasure. It's a hidden treasure for our walks, to understand uh, the Lord in a greater way, a deeper way. Um, also a hidden thing because it is a messianic psalm, as we'll see towards the end of this, uh, this psalm. But this psalm is like, um, like golden, hidden. And when I think of this, I think of like, well, gold, precious gold, something precious, something hidden, perhaps like devotional. And so as I think of this miktam of David, it, it begins to make sense to me how we need to have these treasures in our life, the word of God, in our heart, buried deep. And so I see this as like gold, uh, hidden, like maybe devotional, this, this uh, passage or this psalm. There's a sense of secrecy. Um, ultimately, this, this psalm, we see a humble confidence that David has. There's a spiritual satisfaction throughout this entire psalm. Now, as you look at it, and you may be already reading through it, you'll see like, wow, there is a lot packed in there. And I want to unpack it so that we can see who this refuge is, what it, why he is our, truly our refuge. So this hidden treasure, this miktam, understand that when David wrote this, he's writing it through or during perilous times, times of pressure, times of, of pain, times of, uh, that are adverse, uh, adversity. So understanding that, you see David's Psalm 16, a psalm of satisfaction 
confidence, trust, security, something we all need when we are going through perilous times. That's why it's just such a treasure to me, Psalm 16, because it's, if we should hide this in our heart, because perilous times are here. Your own personal perilous times may be happening right now, maybe in your relationships, marriages, children, workplace, whatever it may be, we're on and off. We have these roller coaster type things when it comes to our, the things that we deal with. So here, David, this uh, secret, if you will, this personal satisfaction, this trust, he has a refuge. The hidden part of it that stands out to me, of course, is the many, a messianic prophecy in this, in this passage, which is beautiful. Because we see David um, uh, composing this song from his heart. And then and we see some of the Lord's heart in it as well, as, as we see the, the prophecy. So... What is, and I'll ask you this and you can think about it, is what is your personal refuge? I mean, of course, the Lord, and, and let's be on the spiritual level. Your personal refuge, is it when you come here? Maybe it is where you pray at home. Maybe it's time at night, time in the middle of the day, your lunch break, when you open up the Bible or whatever it might be. But we all need a time of refuge, a place, a time set aside in our heart uh, for the Lord so that we are protected, that we understand that we are protected, that we're never alone. But it could be a song. There could be a specific song. You know, when I study, oftentimes I have a, uh, a couple of playlists, and I'll have throwback songs, I'll have some, some really gospel songs, and I just love to just fill my, my mind, my heart with certain songs. There's specific songs I love that I will listen to since, I mean, over 20 years when I do a study. Guaranteed, I will have a specific song on. Um, you know, like, for example, Victory in, in Jesus. That's a beautiful song to me. And, and, and what it is, is it's a place where I, f I feel the presence of the Lord. I'm with him and I'm in my studying time. And it's just as though, because it brings me an understanding, brings me to an understanding of who he is and who I am. And so what is it? A psalm, a prayer, maybe a song, maybe a location. You know, recently uh, I was talking to someone, well, you know, with the, uh, with the drought right now, how many of you are having a tough time watching your lawns turn yellow, right? It is, it's horrible. Yeah, I, I, I still, I always say, I, I do my own um, uh, landscaping and I love it. That is my little refuge. That's my time where I'm praying, I'm talking, and people probably think I'm crazy because I'm pushing a lawnmower and they see my lips moving. Like, who's he talking to, you know? But uh, that's kind of like my little happy place, you know. Uh, my daughter had sent me a, a picture or she sent something about, uh, about, you know, dad in his happy place of cutting the lawn, you know. But when I'm out there, that's sort of like a refuge for me. Uh, not, I mean, I love it, the smell of cut lawn. Uh, it breaks my heart, though, that it's turning yellow. You know, I'll, I'll sneak water on there when I can, uh, as long as I'm not, you know, breaking rules. Um, but uh, but uh, that's my place. That's one of my uh, refuges, uh, refuge, place of refuge, if you will. But let's look at Psalm 16:1 again. Okay, so a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Now here we have this opening prayer in verse 1, and it is a beautiful prayer. The word there, uh, preserve. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Preserve is shamar. And shamar means to protect to keep guard, to observe. So you're asking the Lord, Lord, watch over me. Look at me. Have charge over me is what it means. It means to have a hedge about. Lord, preserve me, guard me, watch me, for I take refuge in you. What a beautiful prayer. That in itself deserves its own study, and we will kind of open this one up right now. Uh, preserve me, God. Keep guard over me, watch me. You know, it's a humble yet confident request, a plea saying, Lord, watch me, guard me. It's not demanding anything. It's a plea saying, please watch over me, my, my comings and my goings. So likewise, we, that should be our prayer for the Lord to be, to, we, our prayer should be to the Lord, Lord, keep me safe, protect me. I'm going out in the world. Uh, I'm about to leave Sunday service in, a, in an hour and uh, 
be with me, watch me, protect me, guard me, put a hedge about me. That's what it means. And you've ever hear when your prayers and someone says, Lord, put a hedge of protection over them. Well, this word actually means a, a preserve, to preserve. Put a hedge about my brother, my sister. Protect them. So that's what we want. We want the Lord to keep his eye on us, and he does. He does in many ways. Preserve me, that is a powerful plea, a prayer that we need to adopt. You wake up in the morning, you're thinking of something, something's troubling you. Lord, guard me, protect me, preserve me. And today you would think, well, what is it that we need to be protected from? Well, there's a lot of things that we need to be protected from. Uh, Are you a Christian? You need to be protected. You need to be guarded. Your mind, your heart, your thoughts, the flesh, because we can get caught up in the wrong things and doing things. You know, look at Psalm 140, verse 4, speaking of this word preserve. And we see it here. Guard me, preserve me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. Look at Psalm 141, verse 9. We see that same word, preserve. Keep me, or preserve me safe. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Shamar, keep me, guard me, protect me, preserve me. So this is, should be the cry, the prayer of our hearts, Lord, to guard, because there are people that would love for you to trip up. There are non-believers that maybe you have spoken to, maybe in your family, that want to trip you up. They may even, even be the source of what's trying to trip you up. Because, um, what is it, misery loves company. Because you maybe are walking right, living right, not perfect, but you're living right, and what does that do? It causes conviction in that person. And that person doesn't like that feeling of conviction, of knowing what's right and not wanting to do, or not doing it, but seeing you, and you may not even say a word, but they'd rather see you trip up so they could feel justified in their sin or their life without God. So, you know, you think of, of this, uh, Lord, watch me, look at me. Um, you know, I saw something on Facebook the other day, um, um, Chris, Paneri's son, and he was, uh, what was it, BMX, the bike? Did anyone see that? Anyone see that? Cool picture. Now, I wa- it was a video, and I watched it, and I loved it. It warmed my heart. And uh, he was a little guy like this, and these big old bikes zooming around him. And I love that, you know, uh, the fact that little, you know, a little danger for a boy. That's good. And, but what I did was I, I looked at the film, and there was a certain thing that caught me, because this was kind of my thought, is I think of when I say, Lord, watch me, look at me, I think of the child when a child looks back at his parents. When he looks back to see if mom's watching or dad's watching. And I looked in that video and I noticed he's going and he's, and a couple of times, at one point he turns back and he looks. And that look is exactly the way um, we want to, or the way our hearts are sometimes when we're like, God, are you there? Are you watching? I think of Johnny when he was a little guy and, and sports and left and right, make a basket or do something. And that look, when he would look over, and it would just be like, you know, Dad, did you see that? Or, you know, Dad, what do I do? You know, or whatever it was. There was something beautiful about that. I recall with Lauren when she was a little ballerina, and she was on stage over at this little cultural center. And I'm filming, and, and there's an audience, and I'm standing somewhere, and I'm filming her, and she, they come out with their little ballerina things, and she's doing her thing. It's the cutest thing in the world. And then at one point, she sees that I'm there. And she does her little thing, and then she stops, and then she waves. You know, the classic wave to mom, wave to dad. And it just blesses my heart because I want my children to know that I'm watching them. Every move, every thought, every heartbreak, I'm there for them. That's the Lord's heart. And the Lord gives us a glimpse of that. Preserve me, O oh God. Take refu- I take refuge in you. You know, um, and so it's, it's looking back to your parent. I, I've shared the story before. And I was a little guy going to school, and man, I think I was five. And I remember my, my mom taking me. Uh, wow, I mean, I remember my mom taking me to kindergarten my first day. And I was, a, I was a trooper. I went, she left, dropped me off, and I was sitting there in the floor, and other kids were coming in and crying and kicking as their parents would leave. And I thought, wow, poor guys. And I thought, yeah, I thought I had it down until I was the last kid waiting for my mom to pick me up. 
And, I, and then I was crying. And I was looking for my mom. They were giving me little toy fire trucks and trying to, you know, keep me happy. But my mom was not coming back. Where was my mom? And she got back and she said, oh, I'm sorry, I was late. I'm late. I thought I was abandoned. And, uh, and so it was heartbreaking. But I, I remember the time when eventually she would walk me to school. And then, and then uh, I believe I was like five or six. And, and then it was the time where she would stand in the front yard and watch me walk. Block after block. It was four or five blocks. And then I would turn into the main street. And as I would walk and I'd get to the end of each block, I'd walk and I'd be strong, Steve. Mom's not with you. And I would stop and I would turn around. And there's mom. She's watching. So then I'd walk the second block. And then I'd turn around and there she was. The third block. And I could see her there. And then I would disappear. But I knew she had her eyes on me. I felt protected. There was a sense of refuge there. And so that's the same thing that we have with the Lord. His eyes are on us. He's watching. And now look at, uh, I want you to look at this word again, which is shamar, Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 8. And it says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up for the upright. He's, I'm sorry, put my glasses on. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in in integrity, guarding the paths of the justice, of justice, and he preserves, shamar, the way of his godly ones. He preserves the way of his godly ones. This is who our refuge is, the one who preserves the, our way. Now, before we look at that, backing up is the one, our refuge, in verse six says, the Lord gives us wisdom. We, he's our refuge because he gives us wisdom. Um, gives is nathan, and that means to grant, to ascribe, to devote, to commit, to put on to a point. He appoints wisdom uh, from his mouth. The Lord appoints or he employs wisdom from his mouth. And um, wisdom is hokmah, and it means skill, wisdom, wits. It's the ability to deal with life. We could be going through life and we need the Lord to, bring, to, give us, to give us wisdom so that we have the ability, the wisdom, or the wits, the skill, hokmah, to deal with certain issues in life. And he's faithful to do that. The Lord gives us wisdom and we're able to get through life. That's why he's my refuge. That's why he should be your refuge because of the wisdom, wisdom that he grants us. You know, if we need to know something, something more or whatever, we do some research. I got to figure this out. I can't figure out how to take this thing apart. You go on to Google, you go to YouTube, and then next thing you know, you're your wife's hero because you fixed the washing machine, right? Because you've researched, you've figured out how to do it. You need some wisdom. You know, we all need more wisdom. We all need godly wisdom. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Let him know what the requests of your heart are so that you know how to get through life. You know how to deal with whatever it is, that roadblock that you're dealing with, that thing that's hindered your faith, your relationship, your marriage. Lord, how do I deal with this? Making your request known to God. James 1, 5 says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and that's all of us, from time to time, more so than uh, often times than others, uh, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. This to me is beautiful, because this is why, again, this is who our refuge is, is that when we need wisdom, he gives it without reproach. Reproach is onedzo, onedizo. Onedizo means to revile, to show disapproval or disappointment. Man, how about if you went to your dad or your mom and says, hey mom, uh, I, need, uh, I need to know something. Can you help me out here? Uh, what do you need now? You know, can you imagine that? Can you imagine God saying, now what do you want? He doesn't do that. It's the opposite. He's, he does it without reproach, without disapproval. What do you need to know? Let me help you. Just like a parent. Little Johnny, and well, little Johnny, if your son's named Johnny, my son's name is Jonathan. But if little Johnny comes to you and say, hey, dad, how do I do this? Well, let's figure this out. Let's, let me show you. And then maybe sometimes we go overboard and we show them too much and they're like, okay, I got it. But we, they look for us for uh, advice or whatever, but we give it without reproach. In the New Living Translations, it says, he will not rebuke you for asking. 
That's beautiful to me. That's why he should be your refuge. That's who our refuge is. You know, I was um, uh, talking with um, Bob and, and Melissa. Bob uh, was down the house, and we were talking about uh, uh, cars. And we were looking at, at my car, and he was, and, and Bob has a, a wealth of wisdom, and he's a gearhead. And so we were talking about the, uh, the uh, positive traction, the rear end, the differential uh, on, a, on, a, on a car and the axles, and he started sharing things about certain amount of torque and what you need on, this, on the axles, and then he lost me. I didn't know what he was saying. And, and you know how you feel like, should I ask? I'm gonna sound dumb. And then I asked, uh, what, what, is, what, what is that? And then he explained to me, without rebuking me, without showing disapproval, he gladly shared more info with me. And that's just awesome. When you have someone like that, that you can just ask, and they'd be more than happy to educate you to help you along, and that's God. God is more than happy to give you wisdom when you need it. That is why he is a refuge. That is why you want him as your refuge. You see, he provides, and let's look at that verse again in Second um, uh, Proverbs 2, verse 6 and 8. I think it'll go up. For the Lord gives wisdom from out of his mouth of knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of the justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. I think I need a, little, a lot of water today. I'm really excited about this psalm. It's just a beautiful psalm because it's who we, he's our refuge. And, and uh, there's just so much beauty in this passage. Okay, so this part, um, Proverbs, he sort of sung wisdom for He is a shield. You know, there's that word preserve again, of course, to guard, but a shield, and that shield is magain. That word is magain, and it means a buckler. It, 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 what it is, is it's a small shield. It's a small shield that someone uses in battle to, for, for protection. <clears throat> it's not a giant shield, it's a small buckler. It's a small shield, which it comes from the root, uh, this word, to defend. Why? Because if I have a buckler, I have a I have a weapon in my other hand, and I, I use this to defend. He is our shield. It says he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He is our own, very own, personal armed security guard. We have him as our own personal armed security uh, bodyguard. And to me, that, that's, that blows my mind, that he's there to fight your battles. He's there to stand for you, to stand up for you. You know, we think of those in the, the politicians, the Hollywood stars, uh, kings, executives, whatever it might be, they all have bodyguards and they're armed and that's great and they should, but we have God and God ha is a, has a buckler, which means he is there to defend, which the root word means to defend. He's ready, equipped to protect you. How is he not your refuge? If he's there, armed and ready to protect you, how is he not your, your refuge? Now, y'all might say, well, yeah, he's my refuge. Oh, praise the Lord. But there may be someone listening that he isn't, that they fight their own battles. They gear up and they go in and get into these spiritual fights that they shouldn't be in when the Lord needs to step in and we need to back off because uh, we're operating by the flesh or whatever it may be. But he is our refuge and he is armed. You know, in James 4, 7 uh, and 8, it says, <clears throat> Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The beauty in this verse, or this pas these passages, submit yourselves, to, so, uh, therefore, to God, and resist the devil. Resist the devil. Don't get in there and fight the devil. Resist him. That's a fight in itself. You know why? Because it causes him to flee. That word fiugo in the Greek, flee, fiugo, means to seek safety by flight, to escape danger. Uh, not me, him. You see, when I say I want nothing to do with you, it's as if my armed guard comes and stands there and fights the battle, and he flees for his own safety because of my bodyguard, because of my refuge because of God. And that turns the tables. And that should bring insight to us that, that let the Lord fight that battle. Our part is to resist sin, 
to turn from it and let the Lord strengthen us. And in turning from sin, you will be strengthened. Our obedience places uh, Satan in danger. Our obedience to the Lord causes him to flee. You want, you want all these troubles to get out of your life? Lean on the Lord. Lean on his understanding, being obedient to the Lord. Look at, uh, wow, verse one. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. We will get through this, uh, this uh, psalm, by the way. Preserve me, O God, o God, for I take refuge, kasar, to flee for protection. I take refuge in you. Flee for protection. I flee from whatever it is for, to the Lord for protection. It's to put trust in God, to confide him or, or hope in him. That is what refuge means. He is our refuge. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield, buckler, defender to those who take refuge in him, who take kasar in him, or kasar, kasar in him. So those who flee, those who take refuge in him, he is a shield. He is your shield. And so when you, let's say, there's that spiritual fight and you're like, you know, or that temptation and you say, nope, I'm not, I'm resisting, I'm getting away and the Lord fights your battle and I flee to my refuge, to my place. Proverbs 18.10 is a beautiful picture of the Lord as our refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So I'm going to get away from sin and run to my refuge where I'm safe. The beauty of this strong tower, it's it's there in itself, a strong tower. I'm not going to run into a little shack. Uh, What is it, the three little pigs? Was it hay and wood and then brick, I think, right? Well, brick. Okay, so it's more like the the tower, the brick, the the, uh, uh, masonry. So we run to the strong tower, and that says volumes right there, is strong tower, I mean strong, obviously, might, strength. Whose might? Whose strength? His, not mine. My strength, my might gets me in trouble. It's his that protects me. A a mighty, a strong tower. Why a tower? Well, we run to it, first of all, because there's safety there, whether it's the weather or whatever you want to think about it in a natural sense. But spiritually, there's safety in the Lord, running to the Lord. But it says... The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it, doesn't walk, doesn't take his time, doesn't read a book, doesn't, you know, uh, post about it on Facebook and wait. He runs to the Lord. So he runs into, the hand, into it and is safe. That word safe means to be set on high. After all, it is a tower. Inaccessibly high. Securely on high. That's what that word safe means. So I'm not just running into the, to the, the brick building or to the tower. I'm running into it and being placed in a safe location. So the floods of life, the storms of life won't affect me. The enemy can't get me because I'm out of reach. I'm protected. So that is who our refuge is. Um, you don't have to turn here, but uh, Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into this heart of the sea. We aren't to be moved because he is our refuge. Look at Psalm 16, verse 2. It says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Look at it in the ESV. It says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And the New Living Translation says, I said to the Lord, you are my master. You are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. And when David writes, I said, I say, I said to the Lord, it's like, um, it's a decision. It's a choice. It's settled in my heart. It is understood. Verse 2, we need to have that same understanding. It has to be settled in our heart, understood that I am nothing without God. Settle that in your heart and you will realize how wonderful and magnificent God is. Because when we do that, we're getting ourselves out of the way. We realize nothing out of me is going to be any good. It's the Lord through me, by his spirit, that any good happens. 
So he, there's a decision there that uh, anything apart, uh, I have no good apart from you. Psalm, and that's an English standard version. I like that. I have no good apart from you. You know, when you think about this, think of when you're growing up. And as you're growing up, you know, you enjoy a lot of things in life. You know, a roof over your head, uh, mom's cooking, or maybe dad's cooking. Uh, you have protection in the house. You get dad's wisdom. You know, you even get dad jokes. Everybody loves a dad joke, right? Okay, well, sorry, dads. I'm, I'm batting for you. <laughs> but when you're a child, you get everything. You, get, you have a bicycle, perhaps, a warm bed, uh, little dolls to play with for the girls, of course, and a uh, little, you know, action figure, army men for the boys. But you have all these things, the, the, the things that you need in life, all the amenities, a home, a roof, advice, protection from the parents, and that is because, uh, well, they're protecting you. They're raising you. They're training you up. They're giving you what you need. God is giving us what we need likewise. He's taking care of us. A child can't say, well, yeah, I, uh, I have my own bike. Really? You know, he's five years old. Yep, got my own bike. Really? How long did you work for that? Or would you? Oh, my dad bought it. Ah, okay. Dad gave it to you. Yeah, well, I have a roof over my head. Really? Would you pay for your house? Well, you know. So it's, it's, you've realized that, wow, as a child, you think, oh, I have... I'm so blessed. My parents take care of me and they provide for me. You know, last year, um, you know, um, Shaq, basketball player, seven, whatever he is. How tall is Shaq? Seven, seven something. Well, big old guy. You know, last year he said something. It was really interesting and it caught my attention. And he was talking about his kids, or I guess he told his kids this. And he's quoted as saying, you're not rich. I'm rich. And it makes sense. When you think about it, that's like the Lord saying, you're nothing. Everything, blessings come from me. And so when we understand, when we decide, and we have it settled in our heart, I said to the Lord, Lord, I am nothing without you. Then I'm understanding that he is everything. I am nothing. And I want to, uh, be, I want to serve him. I want to please him. And I want to be grateful and thankful. And I want other people to have that. That's who our, our refuge is is. So uh, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains or abides, or meno is the word, who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's, the, uh, there's that prayer for people that go out and share the gospel. There's that prayer for anything you're doing is, is Lord, you know, may everything I do be led by your spirit so I can be fruitful not going off on my own and trying to take care of things on my own. So, um, and uh, the vine and the, and the fruit and all that stuff, I, I have a message I want to put, I have put together actually, that I want to share one of these days. And I, I think it, it just opens up the fact that the, the need for God and, and, and how we are nothing without him, and that's for another time. But let's look at verse three, Psalm 16, verse three. The importance of what? Fellowship. As the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. So the saints, delighting in the saints. You know, David is delighting in the, in the saints. And likewise, we should delight in the, each other. You know, coming here, it's just, you know, when you look around and you see like, well, I haven't seen what's his name or what's her name, you know, and then you see them and it's a blessing because they're delightful to you. Everyone plays a role here. And everyone is for each other. Everyone, uh, someone might say, well, I just go to church and then I, and I leave and whatever. You are blessing someone. Your presence is blessing someone. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. David delighted in that. And so the question is, do we delight in what the Lord has provided extended family? The ability to have brothers and sisters to, to uh, build us up, for us to build up, to invest in, if you will. Um, and so that's what David is saying here. In Psalm 119, verse 63, uh, it says this, I am, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. So, in other words, any friend of God is a friend of mine. And you know, there's something instant you could be anywhere and, and you might meet someone and find out they are a Christian and instantly you have a common bond because you share the same refuge and you know God the same way. And there's a, just an instant friendship, an instant 
uh, friendship that edifies, that builds each other up. That word, I am a companion of all those who uh, fear, uh, fear you. A companion means friend, partner, an associate. We're associates. Together, we serve God. Together, we worship God. Together, we want to please the Lord as a corporate fellowship. So we're joined together by something, by that same refuge. We're closely bonded, if you will, in a common purpose. Um, I was uh, out with uh, James Evans, I think last week, and um, you know we got together, and, we, and James and I, when we get together, we, we talk, and there's some great edification taking place, iron sharpening iron, and I was blessed just to have conversation and talk, but then there's the laughter, and then him and I will joke, and we'll say funny things, and it'll go from here to there to there, and next thing you know, we're just cracking up, and it just blesses my day. It just blesses me, and it just it kind of rejuvenates when you're in fellowship. We, we can't minimize the iron sharpening iron, not just men, but women as a body sharpening one, one another. What that word means in original language is it, it, we spur each other on. Um, we encourage by our conversation. So we're building each other up by conversation. So you want fellowship. You want Psalm 16.3 because the Lord has provided this. You know, we don't want to wait all week to get here and then just leave. We want to get here and enjoy what the Lord has provided. So, um, you know, in Psalm 42 verse 4, I, I had a study on that psalm. Um, and it, David is saying this, and he's in exile, and he says to the Lord, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. And so he's in exile. He's down and he's out. He can't be with the body. But he, what does he do? He remembers that. He remembers the good times, being with everybody. You know, when you slowly are out of fellowship, you will miss it. If you're out of fellowship for the wrong reasons, um, you miss it. And you might not admit it, but you're missing it. And you re realize it when you're back in fellowship. Why did I stay away? These people love me. This is where I need to be. They're not here to judge me. They're here to build me up, to welcome me back. Psalm 16.3. Look at verse 4. This is somewhat heartbreaking. Psalm 16.4 says, The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. There's another decision there being made by David. And remember, it's times of peril, times of stress, sadness, heartbreak, anger, fear, whatever it is, people respond different ways, believers and non-believers. Christians or non-Christians um, in times of peril, they're gonna do something. They're gonna respond a certain way when, as, as believers or not. They're gonna either become prayer warriors, and yeah, non-believers will become prayer warriors. They're reaching out and calling out to, where's that, where's God? They want help. They're seeking uh, something spiritual because after all, we're spiritual beings the way God created us to recognize, to know him, to be drawn towards him. And so in times of peril, we look and look for our, if you will, like the kid looking for a parent. But becoming, uh, they become prayer warriors, um, Christians and non-Christians will turn to God. Christians and non-Christians will run from God. Some will become angry with God. You see, when you have perilous times, trials or pressure, it either, you're either going to run to God or you're going to run away from God. The sad part here is the sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. You know, you think about bartered. What does bartered mean? Bartered is to hasten or to, it means to hasten, to run after, chase after, to obtain in exchange. That word there is maharu, bartered. Maharu means to hasten, to run after, chase after, in a, to obtain in ex exchange, replacing something. To run after another God, another translation says it. It says, the sorrows of those who have run after another God will be, uh, multiplied. Some people run towards other things. What do we turn to? We should be turning to our refuge, to the Lord. But lots of times people turn to friends. They might turn to their therapist. They might turn to anger. They might turn to the gym. I just need to 
get, become a gym rat again. They might turn to bitterness. Some might turn to Tony Robbins. You know, people turn to the craziest of things. Some people turn to alcohol when times are tough, times of peril, to get away, to escape. And we need to be people who turn to the Lord, that we make sure that we're not exchanging God for something else by finding solitude or finding uh, an escape in something else other than our refuge. That word refuge also, it's used as a, to exchange something, to obtain an exchange is like when you give a dowry for a wife. So now think about that. When you meet someone and what you do, the the extent you go through, the, 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 the things you do to win that person over. There, there's an attraction there, and there's some kind of, there's an amount of effort you give to talk to her or him to meet that person, because this word is used to a dowry for a wife when you meet somebody. So there's an attraction, there's something, and you just go way out of your way to talk, to meet, to get her phone number. You use gifts, you use whatever it is, you're a musician, you'll write her a song. And all these things you, you put to someone else. And so we see this word, how it's used when we commit spiritual adultery on the Lord and find someone else, some other God, some other idol, and we replace him. You know, so it's important when you think about the the, the marriage relationship or the boy-girl relationship, you know, all that effort that takes place. When I met Carol uh, just a handful of years ago, when I met Carol, I, I remember she was, she was different, and, and she stood out to me. And uh, when once we, and it took me, a, remember your friend, I, she wouldn't give me her phone number, Carol, and I don't blame her because I was kind of a, you know, sketchy guy. And, uh, and, and her friend, it was, it was a funny story. I said, can I have your number? No, no. She actually did not want to give me her number. And her friends were in her car sitting and waiting and saying, come on, let's go, let's go. Give them your number. Let's get out of here. And then one of the friends with an eyeliner or something wrote your phone number on a gum wrapper and threw it at me. And so I got her number and I called her and I married her. And so, and, and you know, and I'll tell you, if that girl, Sandra, Sandra, if Sandra did not give me that phone number, I may have never seen Carol again in my life. And that's a side story. But anyway, when I, when I saw Carol, all I could do after I talked to her, all I could do, I'd, I'd go to work and I'd think about her. She had my attention. I could just think about her at work. I remember I'd get home, uh, I'd, I'd, and I was a sketchy guy, so on the way home, my friends and I, we'd stop at the liquor store for some beverages, and then I would go home, and I would, I would get all cleaned up, showered, brushed, cologne, and I'd go straight to Carol, because I was drawn towards her. Everything was about her, and when you see this word bartered, or a dowry for a wife, we throw everything out, and we just are focused and dialed in. And I, I remember back there, I would, yeah, the cologne, brush my teeth. And, and back then I had hair, so I would comb my hair. And I would go straight to her, and I just gave her all my time. And so now when it's, when it's the Lord, and he is the one that should have our attention. He's the one that should have our time. But there are times sometimes when something gets your attention, and we forsake things. We forsake God. And how is it that we can turn from God? Because you know what? There are things in this world that people get in their minds in their, in their, by the flesh that are worth uh, exchanging God for. And it's, it's horrible and it's sad. You know, so in times of peril, in times of trouble, some people uh, either run to God or they run away from God. But, um, but David says, I will not take their names upon my lips. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. In the New Living Translation, it says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. Now, um, that word inheritance is helek. And it means a portion, a territory portion, a share, a parcel of land. So what we're seeing is inheritance, the, the words that it's using here has to do with like property, one's portion, one's possession. So, you know, it's like um, a piece of property, piece of land. So the Lord is, my por- is the portion of my inheritance. And when you think of an inheritance, you know, you could think of that, the proverbial uncle you never met that passes away and leaves you an inheritance. 
You ever, ever think about that? Like, man, if I only, <laughs> I'd love to get a call and find out I have all this thing. I'm going to inherit property. And that's, that's great, right? That would be wonderful. But look, that, that would be exciting. But this is greater. This is talking more than a piece of land or an amount of money. It, look at verse 6. It says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. It continues to use this, these, this wording as far as property and, and inheritance. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. So when we look at, yes, inheriting something from a relative, that's great, that's fantastic, um, it, it's wonderful, but you know what, this is, just, this is speaking of something beyond that. It's speaking of something that is genuinely beautiful. These words that are used, pleasant places, nahim, it means sweet, lovely and beautiful. The word heritage, indeed my heritage is beautiful to me, Heritage, again, is nahala, and it means a possession, a property, a heritage uh, property, a portion, a share. We're receiving something. We're not receiving land from God. We're talking about something spiritual that it says here is beautiful, separ, that is beautiful to me, meaning bright, to glisten, not a piece of dirt. Joe on Wednesdays, or uh, has been going over Revelation. And Revelation 21.10, speaking of the new Jerusalem, the beauty that we are about to receive, that we will eventually have, is what's being referred to here. Verses 5 and 6 is speaking of property. It's using terms like land and lines and portion, but it's metaphors for describing ultimate blessings from God, ultimate blessings from the Lord. You know, some of us will and might inherit things, and um, uh, houses, property. But as someone infamously normally says, come on, man. <laughs> uh, you probably don't know who that is. <laughs> you don't want to know who that is. But anyway, be, beyond that, it's like, come on, man, really? Are you excited about a piece of property or what we are to inherit in heaven? It, in Philippians 3.20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. But our citizenship is in heaven. It speaks of a colony, a community, the things that Joe has been sharing on, on Revelation 21, the beauty that is there for us. It is just, it blows away anything and everything you can, you can imagine. As much as you could, even what Joe is trying to describe, we, we're not understanding it in the sense of being in it. Have you ever uh, taken a picture of a sunset? Let's say you've seen something beautiful and you're like, oh, I got to capture this. You take the picture and the picture does no justice, right? It's not, it, it's, you have to be there. So Joe is doing an incredible job on the New Jerusalem, but until we there, or we're there, we will realize it, we'll see it. Um, in um, Hebrews eleven sixteen, it says this. But, at, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared for them a city. He has prepared for them a city. Our refuge, the one that, who is our refuge, has provided, is providing this, this new Jerusalem, our names are written in heaven, the scriptures say in Luke 10, 20. Names are written in heaven. In Philippians 4, 3, your name is, um, um, are in the book of life. So when we think of who is my refuge, it's the one who has heaven for me that I have yet to inherit. You know, as I was putting this message together and thinking about, yes, our, my inheritance is I, you know, the ultimate perspective that we should have in life right now. Things are bad, and yeah, we're in this world, and things are going to be bad. Let's just get that settled. Things are going to be bad, but ultimately, spiritually, there should be joy because of what we have yet to inherit. And as we go through these tough times, we think about it. So all I'm thinking about, all heaven and heaven, and, and as I, I'm thinking about this, was it yesterday, Friday, Saturday morning maybe, it dawned on me that um, as I'm thinking about trying to get everyone to realize we have this you know, when we leave this place, we have heaven. And um, 
Last year, my mother passed away. (sighs) But the beauty of it was it dawned on me. (laughs) It dawned on me that my mom received her inheritance, that she is in the presence of God. And then it just, it blew me away. How did I not think about my mom putting this message together until I got here, even after, when I was reviewing my notes, and I thought of the beauty of that. You know, she used to say, she used to ask me lots of questions, and she'd say, mijo, Steve, son, or my son, um, so, like, in heaven, what will it be like, or what? And I would share what I could tell her, and, you know, um, and she was very much an introvert, and I guess you could say. Um, and she would even ask, I remember specifically, she one time said, when I'm in heaven, I mean, I don't know, I just, I don't care if I get a little bench that I could sit on. And she says, I, I mean, I don't even know if anyone will talk to me. And I thought, I said, Mom, are you kidding? I go, you're going to be in the presence of all the saints past. And, and the joy you're going to have, the inheritance you're going to have, the beauty. I go, are you kidding? Um, you're going to have conversations that you've never known. The beauty of there that you have. Our names are written in heaven, guys. This is who our refuge is. Who has this aside for us? Are you familiar with the song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder? What a beautiful song. It is just, Carol loves when I sing that song. No, she doesn't. I don't think there's any song with it. I think she loves. But it's a beautiful song. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And, and that is our refuge. That is who our refuge is. Look at um, verse eight, uh, 7 and 8. This is what we see here as a faithful and an active relationship. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my heart or my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. My mind, indeed my mind or heart, kill Yah is the word. It means the seat of the emotions, the innermost being. It's used here as heart or, or mind. It means kidneys, the kidneys deep into our soul, down, down, deep down. So think of this. I bless the Lord. He has counseled me. Indeed, my heart, my kidneys instruct me in the night. Deep down inside, I am instructed. I have set the Lord continually before me. I will not be shaken, not be shaken. That word shaken, which is moat, means to slip, to be overthrown or to fall. You see, when we set the Lord continually before us, you will not be shaken. You will not slip. You will not fall. Because he is your refuge. You will be set safely, securely up on high. That mind, that conscience, or the kidney, that means deep down inside. Isaiah 26.3 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind, heart, is stayed on you because he trusts in you. To trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord. You know, have you ever been... And usually it's at night, right? When you're, all the thoughts start going through your mind, it's time to go to bed. And you're just sitting there and like, wow, I was sleepy a minute ago until I laid down. And it's those times that maybe the Lord speaks to you. Deep down inside, all these thoughts, all these things where the Lord ministers. And to take advantage of those times. Because knowing the Lord, putting him first, continually, he will speak to you. And you will know deep down that he is yours, he's your refuge, and he will counsel you. The Lord, the creator of the universe, will counsel us. That is powerful to me. It goes on to say, of course, I, have set, I will set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken. He's at my right hand. That word, this is powerful. Uh, yamin. It means, it's yamin is the word. It means beside us. As the stronger Sort of like the right hand, it's not saying the left, because usually, uh, it's usually the right hand that is stronger, the right side, unless you're lefty, well, you're probably stronger. But for the most part, what it's using is because it's yamin, it's speaking of the stronger, the right hand, the right eye, and you see that in scripture, throughout scripture. So that is, he's at your right hand, as a result of having the Lord continually set before us. That word right hand is a military term. And it, it's referring to, the, to provide protection to the man beside him. So there's a strategy here. So when the Lord is continually uh, set before me, uh, he is at my right hand. 
He is at my right hand. Think of a line of, of soldiers and at the right hand of having each other's back. There's a strategy there. And then again, here's where we have a corporate fellowship of how we are to rely on one another. That military term is used here in Psalm 109, verse 31. It says, for he stands beside, or right hand, for he stands beside the needy, ready to save them from those who condemn them. In Psalm 110, verse 5, it says, he, uh, the Lord is at, uh, at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. Once again, militarily speaking, our armed guard, our armed protector is there for us at our right, at our side, right beside us. And that is something that we need to grasp when we're trying to battle things on our own. When we think we're on, on our own, we're not. We're not. We need to resist the devil and allow the Lord to step in and to protect us. Because after all, he is like that armed guard. Look at verse 9 and 10. Now, in verse 9 and 10, it says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. And then it goes on to say in verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And this is where we see it becoming a messianic psalm, where um, Paul quotes uh, verse 10, actually, in Acts 13.35. And um, Peter, in Acts 2, uh, quoted, I believe it was 8 through 10. And they're, and they're speaking of the resurrection of Christ. And so... Um, and so that's where we see this, the, the Messianic Psalm coming uh, in, in, in fruition here. But therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My heart, here, it's the word leb, and it means the inner man, the mind, the understanding. My heart is glad. My mind is glad. Inside, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. Now, the glory is kabod, and that means the, your dignity, your soul, your spirit. And see, we're talking about deep understanding, a relationship with God, knowing deep down inside, he is my refuge. Psalm 16 goes, uh, it just continues because this word, glory, um, possibly is also referring to, um, used with uh, the liver or the bowels. So we're talking every fiber of your being knowing who God is. Trusting God deep down inside, it's settled in my heart who God is. He's my refuge and he's the one. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. I just am overjoyed that I have the Lord as my refuge. Inside and out, I know it. I know who he is. And so when we see that, we, we see in verse 7 from the kidneys, verse 9, the heart, and then with the glory or, or the soul or the liver, the bowels, Deep down, all of your being sold out to Christ. The beauty is, is just overwhelming in Psalm 16. In verse 10, it says, For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And that's referring there, he's prophesying, David is, about Jesus Christ being resurrected, that he will not be abandoned uh, into Sheol, but uh, that he will not undergo decay, that he will rise from the dead. But this verse here applied to us, or as David writes, for you will not abandon my soul. That is an understanding that we should have in our hearts. Lord's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us. And in your trial, you may be in that trial and feel like you're stuck in that trial. You may even die in that trial, but he's not abandoning you. He's with you. He's, and, and, when, and when we do die, regardless of the circumstances, could be horrible, could be drawn out, could be quick, but we are brought into that inheritance. And that beauty of, you will not abandon me, abandon is azav. Azav, and that means to leave or to forsake. To leave behind, to let alone, to let go. The Lord will not let go of you. You might be in your trial, but he's hanging on to you. You're hanging on to him. You're abiding and remaining in him. He's with you. It may not end the way you want, but he's with you. And after all, when it's all said and done and it's over, you receive that inheritance that is promised. So he will not azav you. He will not leave you or forsake you. 
In Joshua 1.5, it speaks of him not, not leaving and forsaking you. He will be with you. And that's, about, that's right before they're about to go into a land of trouble, bad lands. And when we go out into this world, it ain't nice out there. It ain't pretty, and it doesn't love Christians. And so when you're out there, we have to understand that he was not going to let go. He's not going to abandon us. Our ultimate security, safety, refuge is in eternity. But it, doesn't, it starts even now. Even now, we are guarded. Even now, he watches over us and we're protected. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, you, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there it is, there are pleasures forever. That word path means a well-trodden path. A well-trodden path. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Right hand, once again, that word yamin, which also means available. He's beside us. In your right hand are pleasures forever. They are available. Those pleasures are forever, or they are forever, and they are available. He's going to make known that, right, that path. You see, there are people that don't have Jesus. They don't have the Lord as a refuge. Their refuge may very well be alcohol. Their refuge may actually just be their marriage because their best friend always consoles them and they're just happy and they go on through their life and they might have a great marriage. They might have your buddy, might be your refuge because that guy knows you. And your God is absent in your life. And because you think everything's well, you don't realize you don't have eternity. That you think all is well. Well, here... He will make known the path of life. When we recognize Psalm 16 as a whole, when we recognize who he is and what's available to us, and as he becomes our refuge, we realize the things of the world are meaningless when it comes to a refuge for encouragement, for a, an escape. Our escape is the Lord. Our escape is the Lord uh, through these times, through these days. He will make known that path. In Matthew 7, 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. In verse 14, it says, But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Narrow that road. The Lord will make known to you the path of life. In that path of life that we are on, if the Lord is your refuge, it's a narrow road, but you're on it. That narrow road means, why is it narrow? It's narrow because it means that it's difficult. It's hard. I became a Christian because I just, I hate the hard life now. I just want to become a Christian and have an easy life. Well, you know what? It's going to be tough because the world is against us. But right? But when the world is against us, who's for us? The Lord. We have the Lord. He is our refuge. He is the one that gets us. He's the one that fights our battles. He is available to us, and he is available to us. He is beside us at our right hand as the stronger, the one that we rely on. So this Psalm 16, the beauty of Psalm 16, it, it, it's a treasure. It is very much a hidden treasure that I think you should even memorize, the scriptures, whichever, whatever stands out to you, but it begins with that cry. And we're going to pass out communion in just a minute. But it begins with that cry or that prayer of protection. And you know, right now there might be someone out there listening who is in dire need of protection, of a refuge, of God. Because everything they've been doing is not working. It patches things up and then it leaks again. It breaks again. Things aren't whole. And you know, Without, with, with this cry, that should be the cry of our heart. When you recognize the refuge that we have, that you can have. David starts off with a cry for protection. And he ends it with this protection and provision that the Lord provides. So I want, as we uh, bring up uh, communion, and we're going to pass it on in just a minute. I want us to pray. And if there is anyone here 
who doesn't recognize the Lord as their refuge, um, then I, 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 I doubt I'm wrong when I say that you find refuge in something, someone, and it leads, quite frankly, to hell without Christ. Without Christ, who is our ultimate refuge, gives us this eternal life, an inheritance that we have for eternity. And so as we pray right now, I want to bow our hearts, and I know many of us have people on our hearts that don't know the Lord, that might outright be rejecting Christ. And we want to pray for them. We want to pray that they would know that there's a refuge for them, that there's salvation for them. We look at this, and there is just an incredible amount of confidence that we can have as believers in the Lord, nothing of ourselves. And when you look at this and you rejoice and you think, wow, look what I have, and then you take a glimpse and you see the world and you see people that you know, love, maybe don't know, and they don't have Christ, it's heartbreaking. It's humbling. That's why there's a sense of confidence in this Psalm 16 that is, should be founded on or the foundation of humility, of rejoicing of what we have and what we want to see others have. So let's bow our hearts and, and understand that there are many people that don't have the Lord as their refuge. And let's pray.